1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to SyrupCast, Mobile Syrup's podcast. My name is Shruti Shakar, and I'm a reporter with the publication. We are recording this on April 12th, just a couple of days after a massive spectrum auction took place. On the phone, I have a very special guest. We're we're doing this episode a little differently, and so uh, I hope it sounds okay, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, but on the phone all the way from Calgary, I have Gregory Taylor, a principal investigator for the Canadian Spectrum Policy Research, and he is also an assistant professor at the University of Calgary's Communication Department. Hi, Mr. Taylor. How are you?
0: I'm doing well today, Shruti. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Absolutely. And I'm really excited to talk to you because I know that you have an extensive knowledge on Spectrum. And of course, Canada just had its Spectrum auction. And before we get into all of that, I'll just um, brief you all, listeners, on what exactly has happened. So, On April 10th, uh, the Innovation Science Economic Development Department released uh, results of the 600 megahertz spectrum auction, and the government had raised $3.47 billion from this auction. Uh, The auction started about a month ago on March 12th and ended on April 4th. There were 112 spectrum licenses in 16 geographic locations. Um, There were 54 rounds of bidding that took place over 18 business days and out of the 12 participants nine of them won spectrum bands um and some of the results were very interesting we had a lot of regional players that had 43% of the spectrum allocated specifically for them which was very great and uh hopefully something that Mr. Taylor and I can talk about but uh so that essentially meant like players like freedom um SaskTel Videotron Explorenet uh, some of the regional players were able to bid on this coveted uh, spectrum and then you had the big 3 you had Rogers Telus and Bell now uh, very interestingly enough Bell did not um, acquire any spectrum and also something that uh, I would like to talk about but Mr. Taylor before we got get into sort of the nitty-gritty details of this auction I wanted to talk to you about what 600 megahertz really is like you know a lot of people have talked have been talking about you know that this spectrum really will help with 5G and um, sort of is one of the bands that's used to deploy 5G networks. Can you explain a little bit about why 600 megahertz is so coveted?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, this is what's known as low band spectrum. And in essence, what that means is it is of a frequency that travels a long distance with only uh, one uh antenna so if you're building towers this is important for you because you don't want to have to build a tower every kilometer because your frequency keeps getting weaker when you're looking when you're looking at 600 megahertz 700 megahertz it's also some people call the beachfront spectrum uh because there's not a lot of it it goes far, and also it penetrates buildings uh, much more effectively. So if you're sitting in an office tower and you've got concrete walls around you, uh, this is the strong stuff that's really good for transmitting signals. But most importantly, it goes a long distance uh, with just one uh, tower. So uh, that's something that holds real appeal to a lot of providers.
1: And, and that's the case with 5G, correct, where you you need that kind of spectrum to be able to deploy um sort of these functions of like autonomous vehicles, um, smart cities, and and even uh, rural uh, broadband uh, uh, fixed wireless internet services, correct? Um, can you correct me if I'm wrong?
0: Okay. Well, you're talking about two different things there. I mean, Rural broadband service, you're right, this is really good stuff for that, uh, because it can cover a wide area mm-hmm. uh, with just one tower. But if you want to make the jump to talking about 5G, yes, this is one of the bands that they're saying 5G uh, can, can operate in, but... 5G is, is uh, a new technology that certainly in the early stages is going to have a very small cell, uh, will be how this is, ro- how it rolls out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can use this, uh, but it, it will not, certainly in rural areas, uh, it will not be getting its maximum use. It will be used as a, as for small cell development in largely cities uh, to do things like you talk about autonomous vehicles, things like that they need to move from one cell to the other just like your cell phone does right now Mm -hmm. and those will be in small dense areas in the cities and so if you're talking about is this good for 5g yes is this good for rural canada i would argue it is but not the way that ised has designed this auction right now i I think that uh, once again rural canada has lost in this auction that we've just had, um, and this isn't the first time, the government loves to talk about rural development in broadband. But when you look in the details of an auction like this,
1: it's not happening. That's really interesting. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Because I I thought that this would be really good for uh, rural areas in Canada. So tell me about well, why this is like not not that great. Well,
0: because uh, you're right in that it should be. Because it travels so far, uh, and this was true of the 700 megahertz auction as well, uh, this is something that should be part of uh, um, a, a, an easy one for the for the government to, to set up. But you've got to look at the details, and this is one that a lot of people don't like to go into, but the, the, once again, the, the, this is one where the devil's in the details. And if you take a look at how the government set up the policy framework for this auction. Mm -hmm. Buried in that framework, in the back, in an annex, is something called the deployment requirements. And the deployment requirements uh, stipulate how much uh, area has to be covered, and they cover it by population over certain amounts of time. These licenses are for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So if you take a look at the rollout conditions for 600 megahertz, you would think over 20 years, they could cover everything, mm-hmm. but that's not what is asked. And if you take a look at the deployment conditions over 20 years, uh, so i for example, uh, so I'm in Alberta, and if we were to take a look at what is required out here, um, so a town that I've spent some time in is called Vigreville, mm-hmm. and it's just outside of Edmonton. It's kind of a classic small Canadian town on the prairies. And after 20 years, 40% of the area around Vegreville should be covered as a, as part of this uh, license. So over 20 years, they cover 40%. Basically, for the provider, if you go in and cover the town, you're done. Mm-hmm. That would be 40%. You've hit the deployment requirements. So it's for that reason, and I have said this repeatedly when I submit to uh, ISED on these, uh, on, on these uh, auctions, that you've got to have stronger deployment requirements. They don't. Uh, and I've just used Vegreville as an example because it's around here but you know it's the same thing you can look at this thing it's in the annex at the back of the uh, but it's buried most people don't go looking for it but to me there's the devil in the details, right there. So, uh, rural Canada is not getting maximum value out of these auctions.
1: And and that's a very um, and I'm very glad that you brought that perspective because I mean you've definitely taught me something, and I, I definitely I did not even know that that was the case, and I think that's very unique. Um, and, and
0: and I'd like to point out it's not just this auction; they've done it with previous auctions. It's almost identical, w- and w- so this is a this is a chance we've had repeatedly to expand. Uh, access into rural areas on this good spectrum, we're
1: not doing it. So, so why do you think that, that those rules have not been updated? Is it a lack of knowledge or understanding or, you know, what, what could be the possible reason for it?
0: Because to build out into those areas is expensive with a very small return on your investment. So that is one that uh, providers will fight tooth and nail to make sure that they don't have to build out uh, into those areas. There's no money to be made. Mm -hmm. And what I like to say, if I'm covering this in my class or in some of my writing, this isn't new. Even though the technology we're talking about is the cutting-edge technology today, we went through this problem when we ran the telephones out into rural Canada, radio, television, all of them. The next generation of communications, there's always the the question of, how do we get this to the rural areas? And time after time, the answer is: don't rely on the markets; they're not going to provide it. And so, provide. You know, we've had for quite some time now in Canada, it's been a bit of market-driven policy, which generally is not too bad for the cities. You know, if you're in a city in Canada. You've probably got two or three providers, maybe four, mm-hmm. and the, your service is alright, but you don't have to go far out of the city still where it becomes a problem. So um, you know, markets aren't going to provide. Why would they? There's no money. I'm uh,
1: I'm curious to know how this might affect the concept of competition. Um, you know, we, we sort of chatted about this before um, doing this interview and I did interview the Innovation Minister, Navdeep Baines, with respect to this and he seemed to be very pleased with the results of the um, of the auction and the fact that regional players were allowed to bid on specific set, set spectrum that was allotted to them. Um, do, do you think you know? Considering that you said that this is um, well, one there isn't enough money to deploy to rural areas. Um, but do you think the fact that regional players were able to bid on the spectrum might be a, f- um, a way of deploying that? um do you do you think that there's going to be competition?
0: Okay, well, first thing that I didn't say there isn't money to mm-hmm. deploy into rural areas, I said there's not a good return on investment.
1: <laughs> My apologies uh, there's, plen- <laughs> there's plenty of money, uh, but I think that uh, you know, as far as some of these regional players, uh, yes, they, it is a. It is certainly
0: better uh, than what we've had mm-hmm. in the past. But uh, it wasn't so long ago, only during the Harper government era, where the the, the goal in all of this was a strong
1: fourth national carrier. Right. And now that uh, policy seems to have fallen by the
0: wayside. Um, and so we've got some of these smaller regional ones. Uh, I hope they do well, but something that people should be watching is, okay, so... Until three years ago, uh, Manitoba had a very good regional carrier, and uh, MTS, and what happened?
1: The Bell bot. purchased it. Yeah. 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 And
0: what happened? Bell was told, don't raise prices for a, a year. Mm-hmm. Bell said, absolutely. And then at 13 months, they raised their prices. So uh, in these areas, I mean, it's certainly better to have this competition in these areas. Uh, my question is, how long is it going to last? And um, there are rules about transfer of spectrum. It's generally you've got to wait about five years. Mm-hmm. Five years, no problem. These people can wait, and so they're <laughs> sitting on spectrum that's worth a lot. It's probably worth for these regional companies. It's worth a lot more than what
1: they paid. Well, and, uh, because uh, sorry, co- co- sorry, continue. What were, what were you going to say? Oh, it's just because it was set aside for them, so it's worth the, So they got it, they got spectrum at a discount. I think it's. I think it's very interesting that you said that too. And considering that Shaw did buy um, what was Wind Mobile, it's now Freedom Mobile. Um, and I don't know if you had a chance to look at uh, uh, their recent quarterly um, earnings report. But their prices seem to go like their uh, average billing per user has actually increased. Um, and someone made a very interesting comment on Twitter saying that you know how long will it take before um, Freedom Mobile becomes or starts to charge you know as, as much as Rogers or Bell or Telus? Um, so I mean maybe Freedom ends up becoming that fourth carrier. Who knows? I, don't, I I really don't know. But you know the fact that they were able to bid in, in the spectrum is is quite intriguing and. And I, I think um, to you know to your to your point, you know, how long will it be until the competition ends? I, I don't know. I think that's a very interesting point and something that we should be keeping an eye on.
0: Yeah. Well, you said that would freedom become the national carrier. Uh, I was wondering that as well until two days ago, <laughs> and then I looked at the, I looked at the result of this auction and they didn't bid outside of their market where they already exist. So they're mm-hmm. BC, Alberta. And Ontario, so I think that in those markets, uh, you can get a, uh, a, a an incorrect idea that uh, Freedom is a national carrier. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're uh, they're in three provinces, and this was their chance to expand, and they didn't. So uh, they, uh, you know, have solidified and will be able to offer better service where they are uh, based right now, which is the same province as they were before this uh, this auction. So I think that. You know, this is something that uh, you know, the, the people were wondering what's going to happen with this. And Shaw had a lot of money for this, Yeah. base and cable. They, they had a strong regional base. Would they expand? And the answer is no. Mm. And same with Videotron in Quebec. Yeah. They didn't expand. And Videotron's played this game before where they purchased Spectrum in Western Canada. And people thought, oh, here's our national carrier. And, you know, they sat on it and then they sold it later.
1: Which is, so, um, which is unfortunate, you know. I mean, I, I look at this and I say, well, I, it, exactly what you mentioned, you know, it, it would have been an opportunity for them to buy the Spectrum in other locations and actually expand, except that didn't happen, which is, uh, which is quite unfortunate.
0: Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's a huge investment. And so Shaw does not quite, even though Shaw is doing pretty well lately, uh, they, have, uh, they do not have the base of Rogers and uh, and Bell. Uh, they're not mm-hmm. that uh, that vertically integrated with other areas that they can tap into. Sure. So so they're a smaller player and they don't have so when you compare them with say TELUS, TELUS has agreements with Bell.
1: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
0: TELUS has a leg up on uh, on Shaw as well. So Shaw's facing a, a difficult challenge, but thus far They're not doing too badly in the places where they exist, but I don't look to them now as a potential national carrier.
1: Let's uh, let's talk about Bell for a second. (laughs) Um, I'm going to be very frank. Uh, When this uh, results, when these results came out, I I literally had to do a double take because they're not in in the results. And I think everyone was pretty perplexed by that. Everyone was like, "What?" Like Bell didn't didn't you know have anything. And I I just want to pull up their um their statement because I think what they said. Their statement was very interesting as well. Uh, If you just give me one second. Um, So essentially, this so they said, um, you know, Bell today has announced it decided not to acquire 600 megahertz low band wireless spectrum. Bell has spectrum assets in the low, mid, and high frequency bands in both urban and rural locations. Given the supply of other low band spectrum that Bell already possesses, 600 megahertz is not required for Bell to deliver broadband 4G and 5G services. Similar to Bell, the company's main U.S. peers chose not to own any 600 megahertz spectrum in their markets. Um, And it goes on to saying how you know they're leveraging what they have uh, and they don't require uh, 600, which is just so Oh, mind-boggling to me. Uh, I don't know if you had that similar reaction.
0: Uh, no, I wouldn't go so far as to say my mind was boggled by it. Uh, to me, it uh, solidified a, a point that I've uh, kind of been working on for a few years and that has to do with the uh, uh, I guess the manipulation of governments around this whole idea of spectrum scarcity and that the, uh, the, the players, the major providers, for 20 years now that they're running out of spectrum, that Mm -hmm. the government must rearrange the frequencies. It's called refarming. They've got to to, redo it and sell more spectrum because we're going to crash. We're going to run out of spectrum. Um, Well, Bell stayed out of this one entirely. And if you look at the 214 auction of 700 megahertz, Uh, They were a minor player in that one, too. Mm -hmm. So this isn't even the first time this has happened. So I think that uh, governments need to uh, look carefully and with a critical ear, listening with a critical ear, when the uh, incumbents... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. Mm-hmm. Now there's no doubt we're demanding more data than ever before. Uh, but Bell has managed to in essence sit out two of the biggest auctions of the last five years. And so I think that they're showing that, you know, they're fine. Um and it'll be very interesting to see what's happened what happens with Rogers because Rogers has been on a spending spree. Yeah. They spent uh if you take a look at the uh the two the seven hundred megahertz auction, uh Rogers, it was something like $5 uh, billion and $3.2 billion of that was Rogers. Uh, and then they did it again yesterday. So Rogers has been on a spending spree and Bell has been sitting back. So it'll be very interesting to see when we come to the $3,500 option, uh, does does Rogers have anything left?
1: And uh, Rogers has also been on a spending spree on things like hockey. Uh, they, bought the, yeah. they
0: bought the rights to Hockey Night in Canada for $5.2 billion. So uh, they're going to be—they've—they've uh, uh, they've got to have very deep pockets because they're spending
1: a lot of money. Yeah, just to uh, give those those values again, Rogers. I, I'm just—I just pulled up the exact value. So in the 600 auction, uh, 600 megahertz auction, Rogers spent um, it was let me see, uh, 1.725 billion dollars, um, and then in yeah. the 700 megahertz auction, it was 3.291 billion dollars, which is a, <laughs> that's a lot of money. That's that's not. That is- that's and, <laughs>
0: uh, so the, and those two combined Bell
1: spent 500 grand. Yeah, that's uh that's 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 a lot. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of money. Um yeah. Yeah. Oh, I,
0: sorry, I said five hundred grand. Sorry,
1: Bell spent five hundred million. Yes. Sorry, yes. Sorry,
0: that's, I, I, I'm off by a few zeros. There. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's okay. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of had the same thought too because if you're if you're spending so much money on these specific auctions, you know, what is the what is the rationale behind doing something like that? And then, um, you know, of course. We were earlier talking about 600 megahertz and the significance of 600 megahertz for 5G. But when you look at the, the upcoming auctions for 2020 and 2021, you have the 3500 spectrum auction and then you have the millimeter wave spectrum auction, which are, if I if I can say, I believe they're more even more valuable for three uh, for 5G deployment. Uh, would, would that be correct?
0: Yeah, they've got, uh, I mean, that's the small stuff, the the, the higher level frequencies like that carry an enormous amount of data, Mm -hmm. uh, but they have a short range. Okay. And so this is why I uh, have some hesitations as to uh, the effectiveness of that, of those frequencies in rural areas, certainly for 5G. Uh, 5G, and, and the other thing to remember about 5G, it doesn't exist yet.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. This is
0: a, a very important point, because the, the hype machine is in overdrive right now, about 5G, uh, and who knows, it might change everything, uh, but we don't really have solid uh, working examples of it right now,
1: so a lot, no, of, this exactly. is somewhat,
0: so a lot of this is somewhat speculative. Uh, I always liken it to, if you remember, three or four years ago, every electronics store in Canada was featuring 3D TVs.
1: hmm And that was the future, Mm -hmm.
0: and we were all going, and 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 we're all going to sit in our living room with with goggles on and watch 3D TVs.
1: Uh, I don't,
0: I don't know where they are right now. I think they're all in a warehouse somewhere,
1: Uh, (laughs) collecting dust essentially. That's right.
0: right. So 5G matters. Still waiting to hear, so I think that uh, you know a little grain of salt is required when we're looking at,
1: at what this might be in the future. So, Hundred yeah. percent, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I think I think partly the reason why there's just so much um, uh, you know excitement around it is I, th- I, I, I to be very frank, I think part of it has to do with with the whole issue with Huawei and the, the politics behind it, um, and then also in the U.S. I mean a lot of I believe it was um, why can't I think of the the city. Right now, But one of the cities, Verizon, has already launched 5G um, networks. And so, you know, I think I think because of that hype, there's this hype that's happening in Canada. But you're 100% correct. Like, we don't even know what's, what 5G is going to look like in Canada. We, we have no idea. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, as I said, it, it might change the game fundamentally. Uh, but thus far, there's a lot of speculation on that. And
0: so, uh, you know, I think that uh, the... The results this week certainly increased the interest in the 3500 auction, uh, but we don't know when that's going to be. Um, And that spectrum can uh, certainly move a lot of data, and uh, we will see. But as I say, I think that's going to have real value in
1: urban centres much more than rural Canada. I want to go back to the the issue with Bell not being in this current um, auction. So, uh, and 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 again, correct me if I'm wrong because um, I I'm not 100 uh, percent certain on, on all the details about this. But I believe that Telus shares a network with Bell. So, would will this affect Telus in any way um, because Bell didn't acquire any spectrum in in um, certain locations that Telus functions in?
0: That's a very tough question to answer because the details of about- the. TELUS-BELL agreement are somewhat murky mm-hmm. uh, and so I don't know exactly what would be shared in this part of their network they absolutely share infrastructure mm-hmm. uh, That's we all know that and it bothers some of the other carriers to no end uh, mm-hmm. that TELUS and Bell often share part of their network uh, but as far as what they will share from what TELUS spent yesterday uh, I, I don't know and so that would be something that they'll likely work out between each other. And uh, if they'll wanted access, I suppose they're going to pay for it. Uh, but I do not know what the details
1: would be of that yeah and i think that i think because there no real information has been released about that i i think that's why um it it kind of makes me wonder you know what's going to happen um and even with the telus's um statement that came out of the auction a couple of days ago you know they never referred to the fact that bell didn't um didn't even get any uh, spectrum and you know for that matter no one really talked about it which in any of their statements which i thought was was pretty um interesting um i and so yeah i guess um i guess we'll just have to figure out what's going to happen or i guess we'll have to wait and see what they do right yeah bell
0: and tellers don't like to talk about it <laughs> it's, it's kind of that simple it, it is there, uh, but they certainly don't go around making a big deal out of it on a regular basis. So I'm not surprised that they didn't talk about it. And uh, But as far as, if you go to, to CRTC hearings, Rogers will talk
1: about it. It bothers, it bothers Rogers,
0: I can tell you. Uh, but, uh, so anyway, as far as what the details are of this agreement with TELUS and Bell, uh, I don't know, but they certainly do share infrastructure and
1: have for some time. So I, I also want to, uh, and this might be a little bit of a broad topic in terms of of spectrum auctions. Um, you know, I think a lot of people who are not who are in the nerd bubble, um, you know, talk about comparing Canada's spectrum auctions to the U.S. Um, and if you look at the 600 megahertz auction that took place in 2017, um, I believe the U.S. generated $19.8 billion versus $3.46 billion, which is what Canada, you know, acquired. And uh, granted, you know, the population density in the U.S. is just far greater than it is in Canada. And, you know, we're only just really understanding what all of these spectrums can do for, for Canada. But do you think that, you know, as we move further into uh, different auctions or move further into, you know, understanding technology, do you think we're getting better at at, um, these auctions? Do you think, or do you think we're not, you know, even up to par with what the U.S. is doing? Oh, I think that in a lot of cases, um, Canada's approach
0: has been to wait, see what the uh, the U.S. is doing, and then we basically follow suit. So I don't know that uh, we're uh, anywhere, Far behind the US as far as how our auctions are designed. What the US has recently done uh, was one that was called a, an incentive auction where um, the, the broadcasters were giving up their spectrum um, to have uh, and to see what people would pay for it. It brought in a lot less than uh, what the US was expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canada has not followed suit. With that the u.s thought might bring in about 80 billion dollars it brought in closer to 20 billion mm-hmm. so it so that incentive-based auction that the u.s was doing that's one of the examples of canada stayed out of that approach and perhaps that was for the best mm-hmm. um, but so i don't think canada is necessarily doing uh doing things you know fundamentally differently uh we're following by and large the u.s band plan and it helps for All of us who like to go traveling in the U.S., we like to bring our cell phones,
1: and we want
0: them to operate on the same frequencies. So uh, the reason we can get those roaming packages is because our providers are working on the same frequencies as the U.S.
1: Now, I don't know if this is appropriate to ask you, but do you think that uh, you'd be able to talk about the format of this auction? I don't know if that's something that you follow as well.
0: The format is very
1: foggy. Um, so, so, what I, from ahead. my understanding, it's, it's the, um, I think I'm going to say this incorrectly, but it's combinatorial clock auction, is that? Combinatorial clock um, auction. That's yes. correct, yes. So, th- that essentially, from what I understand, it, it basically follows a, um, a type of auction that supply, where there's supply and demand. Um, and then they come to a final price um, and then bidders will express interest in package of licenses um, instead of like individual basis. And then um, that also eliminates any risk for bidders who win some, but not all. Um, I don't know if I said that correctly. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I, I don't know. What What are your thoughts on this process?
0: My thoughts are that consultants make a lot of money during these auctions <laughs> because they are complicated. Uh, they uh, Because um, even reading through the policy documents, it can be very hard to uh, figure out exactly how it works. It is largely a closed procedure once the auction begins. Mm-hmm. Some of the previous auction uh, formats allowed you to kind of Watch some of the bidding as it was happening. That doesn't happen in this in this way. So what happens is that and they submit their bids for a package of uh, of licenses, and they don't actually pay the top price. They pay the second price. So okay. if you, if you're offering eight hundred thousand and I'm offering a million, I win and I pay eight hundred thousand.
1: Oh, and okay. so
0: this system uh, generally we've seen it as successful for the last uh few auctions here in canada uh but
1: uh, if you're confused by it you should be uh they're very confusing (laughs) and um as i say even people who follow
0: this closely have to stay out of the nitty-gritty of uh the 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 working of the the auction itself um as i said very cloudy process but in essence uh, you, you you bid and the you you pay for what the second bid would
1: have been interesting and second place bid so essentially what you're saying to me is i should probably quit my job as a journalist and become a consultant for auctions because they earn a lot of money good <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah good luck on that though.
0: Getting low on the, I mean, there aren't that many auctions, certainly on this kind of spectrum. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. We're going to, I mean, the government's been loving these auctions now for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just money in the bank for the government. I mean, the government woke up two days ago and had $3 billion it didn't know it had. (laughs) So governments have enjoyed this for a while, but at some point, uh, this cash cow is going to finish. Um, And so they will either have to. Re-auction some of this spectrum, or divide it up, or take it back, uh, and I don't see that happening. So anyway, I think that, um, and not to mention, some places now they're starting to wonder: are there better ways to uh, to divvy up this resource? And the thing to remember about the spectrum: it's a public resource. Mm -hmm. You and I own it; Mm -hmm. it's it's ours. Mm -hmm. All the people listening to this right now own it, Uh, and so
1: are Spectrum auctions the best way to get maximum
0: value out of this? And there are places right now that are starting to question this, even though auctions have been kind of the world standard now since the 90s.
1: You know, uh, I think that's a good question to even, you know, further and and keep doing some more research into, because I think that would be something um, to look into. Um, But I think those were, you know, I, I really enjoyed speaking to you about um Spectrum. I think it's like the greatest conversation starter. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Who do you hang out with? Uh, a bunch of nerds, like actual. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> most of them are engineers. So what do you expect? Good. They love this stuff. Good, good. good. Well, we need more of them. <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that. Um, I, before I, I, I let you go, um I, I wanted to ask if you had any other final thoughts about the 600 auction. I mean, of course, we we spent. In the last thirty minutes, talking about this, and um, you gave some really interesting insight um, and thoughts. but was there anything else that you wanted to sort of um, you know discuss? Uh,
0: well, I think that when these things come up um, the the thing to watch when you're getting together and all the other listeners and you're talking with your nerd friends about this (laughs) the technical and policy licensing framework that gets put out for this is really the key battleground in a lot of ways and usually ISED the government uh, agency will ask for comments and I wish that more people outside of industry would participate in that part of the process, mm-hmm. because uh, I understand it's challenging. It's uh, it's filled with jargon, but even if you just go in and hammer a couple of points that you think are really important, uh, you know, they, they, you can get at least on record that way. So uh, the CRTC is much better at this than ISED, and that the CRTC has has way better skills in public consultation. Mm -hmm. We don't get a lot of input on how we divvy up our spectrum, and it's, again, a public resource. So uh, if you've got these friends who find this interesting or who are listening to this podcast, uh, participate. Uh, Get on uh, Twitter. Find out when these calls go out for looking at the licensing framework and let the government know, here's what's important, because usually the 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 public stays out of this because it is a difficult and dense area but you know I think if you're listening to this podcast you've got enough of an interest and enough knowledge you should be part of the discussion
1: well there you go guys um, mr. Taylor has asked you all to participate so you should I think it's it's a I think that's a great um, point that you make and I think people should be more involved um, and I, I hope that that happens. Um, before I let you go, Mr. Taylor, how can how can our listeners contact you if they have questions or if they um, want, you know, to provide comment or just you know connect with you? How can they reach you? Uh, I, I'm not hiding. Uh,
0: <laughs> I, I'm out there online right now. So if you want to uh, on Twitter, I'm at Gregory Taylor One. Uh, or I'm at the University of Calgary and uh, in the Department of Communication, Media, and Film, and so they can find me there, and uh, I'm happy to uh, answer uh, any other questions.
1: Excellent. uh, Well, thank you. Thank you so much for for taking the time and talking to me and being on the podcast.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much, Rudy. I greatly appreciate it.
1: Okay. All right, that's all we have for you guys. Uh, I can be found at shruti underscore shakar at Twitter. And, uh, of course, you can read all our content at Mobile Syrup's website. That's all we have for you this week. We hope you have a lovely one. Bye.